Hi, and welcome to Power the Network. I'm your host, Tim Locker, Vice President of Broadband for CBM. Uh, today, we're going to be continuing our conversation with Mr. Dan Levac from PLP. Uh, if you didn't happen to catch the first episode, you can go back and catch up on that. We had a great conversation uh, about broadband today in the U.S., and we're going to continue uh, that conversation here. So let's jump right back into it. But the training aspect has to take on a different approach, too, because now if you have that burn and churn mentality, what happens to quality? What happens to, you know, building something that lasts a lifetime? Yes, that's out the window. That's that's one of the things that I struggle with. You know, I mean, let's face it, we're a sales organization. Our job is to sell product. That's how we make money. That's how we all make a living. Um, but there seems to be a real big push in the last several years of, cost cutting, uh, you know, quality doesn't seem to matter as much anymore. And even though I haven't been around as long as you have, I'm still kind of an old school guy. Mm-hmm. You know, in my personal life, I don't buy junk. I buy quality stuff. Uh, you know, in our business life, we do the same. You know, so how do we change that mindset of, you know, a buyer that's got all this power because everybody's got to funnel through them and they're, you know, saving nickels. It's it's education, it's education, but I always look at it from the passion perspective again, is that PLP, and I know CBM is the same way, we're going to push education, we're going to push training, we're going to get it out as far as we can into the system to create an awareness of what it takes. Lately, as of late, I've been issuing a challenge to anybody I get in front of to talk to, I call it the business card challenge. Sounds pretty simple, right? Yeah, what is it? So the business card challenge in a nutshell is to take young people that are learning the trade and I would present inferior product on their table and ask them to fix it to the point where they would be willing to put their business card on it to say, I'm done. This is the work I've done. This is the work I've accomplished. They used to do that before my time. Yeah, we used to joke about it. Did you sign that? Did you sign it, right? So that way back in the day with the old uh, carriers, they when we use lead, right? That could be part of my problem. It could be heavy <laughs> lead poisoning. But they used to put a, an insignia card inside every splice they did. So when I opened those splices, I saw that someone was extremely proud of the yeah. work they did. And I loved going into those splices yeah. because it reminded me. And they me, looked different than the Oh, absolutely, the right? For sure. Absolutely, because they were proud of their work. They took ownership of it. So now I challenge the younger people to, be willing to do your work so that you may get a phone call one day from someone else that's in there next and says, thanks for setting this up. Yeah, hey, Thank great. you for setting me up for success. Yeah, great job. Great job. Think about that. And you're starting to see some of that on social media. Absolutely. You know, we're seeing a lot of splicers yeah. that are you know, taking pictures and making yeah. posts and putting that stuff out there. And so hopefully through that, we'll see some of that. That's There's a company called M&E Fiber Optics, right? They're a contractor. Uh, not a great big behemoth, but on the back of their business cards are actually pictures of completed splice cases because that's how proud they are and they use it as a calling card. And I look at the contractors that we work with. Did I mention the PCCA? I think you may I can't get away without mentioning the PCCA. (laughs) Yeah, get a shot of that, would you please? So the PCCA, the Power and Communication Contractors Association, every contractor that's in that group represents about 85% of the deployment of fiber optics in the United States today. That's awesome. So how how many members are there then in that? 
in that organization? It varies in the organization from time to time, but it's typically you've got upwards of 120 to 130 contractor organizations mm-hmm. that are in it, and then a lot of vendors and then individual people that do it. But I always look at this like I do in life. You get out of it what you put into it. Plain and simple. If you're not willing to invest in yourself and everything we do and understand this, it's got to be bigger than oneself. Every purpose we have has to go to what I'm going to refer to as the service side of what we do. Okay. I go to these organizations and I do things for them and I'll join committees and I'll become as much a part and and I'll immerse myself in their thought process to try to bring a different perspective to what we're trying to promote. In regards to how we perform as individuals in the service side of the house, it's got to be bigger than you. It's got to be bigger than your company. It's got to be bigger than the organization. And it's even got to be bigger than the industry. Um, And the thing that bothers me the most about words, right? Uh, We've always had words that meant certain things. um, And the government takes a word and they changes the definition to suit their needs on it. And I'll give you one. I'm just yeah, going to harp on this one. Of this one. This one here is just simple. It's it's um, essential. Okay. Yeah. To me, that used to mean that there's a really important word that you were you meant something. Yeah. Because humans only want two things. They want respect, and they want a little love. Yep. And when I say love, I'm going to say uh, to be heard, right? To be understood. Yeah. Just to give me some acknowledgement. Okay. When we went through COVID, they used the word essential as a divider. You're essential, you're not, you're essential, you're not. I want to take the word back. Because when I spoke in front of the PCCA not long ago, I said, let's look at it from this perspective. Every person that's in this room today, there was about 450, is directly responsible for advancement and broadband for every man, woman, and child in this country. That's now, pretty essential. That's essential, yeah, right? Absolutely. So those are the types of things that I want to push. Those are the types of things. And I want the audience to understand it's not about me being on the podcast, right? It's not about you calling me an old guy on sure. the podcast. Yeah. Um, it's it's got to be, let's get a message out that people can understand and grab. That message, I think, is is kind of hard. Like for me personally, uh, I live in a little town, Slater, Iowa. Uh, I believe it was 2002 when Huxley Telephone built, I think, one of the first fiber fiber of the home networks in the state in my little town of 1500. So for me, I mean, I hear all these people talking about, you know, needing broadband, but I've been spoiled for 20 plus years. You know, we've had that technology forever. Uh, so I kind of lose perspective on you know, a lot of that big picture sometimes. I've been a little bit spoiled with that. So now it's time to change your perspective yeah. and understand it's not just about you. And how, yeah. do we, how do we send it out? How do we get better? How do we broadcast the message? How do we get to everybody that needs to be gotten to? And I'm not saying that PLP is the only way to go. But I've heard it's a good place to be. That's what I've heard. <laughs> I've heard on social media someone keeps Somebody saying that, that PLP yeah. is the place to be. Um, and it is, right? But... Where do we go from here, and how do we get a message out to people that need to understand we're in it together, and it's a long-term game. It's a long-term approach. Yeah. So they're not going to. I think you touched on it a little bit earlier. As uh, you know, these projects, the funding's being sent out, and they want them done in four or five years. Is that even feasible? 
I don't know that it's feasible. Um, it's a good dream. Um, and, it, and it's maybe it's putting the carrot out there. I'm not quite sure, but it also causes an awful lot of frustration. And like, for instance, I mean, during the COVID, there was a lot of people that panic buy. They did a lot of panic sure. buying. So now that really, I still have a closet full of toilet paper. It still messed up the <laughs> supply chain though, yes. because now you've got all these companies that have excess inventory and now everybody else that bought it at that scared price and getting out there saying, now I want to return everything. You're going to end up in the same place you were 18 yeah. months ago because this bead money is going to cause such an influx of money into the industry that it's going to provide the same catalyst that COVID yes. did. So I was going to ask that. So we've, you know, we did see that panic buying. A lot of, a lot of our customers, you know, uh, we did a good job getting in front of that because we knew the lead times were coming. Uh, but you're right. We see a lot, of, a lot of folks sitting on a lot of inventory kind of in this weird lull, if you will, where what's going to happen? Everybody's kind of waiting on this funding to be sorted out and where's where's it going to go? Who's going to do what? Um, but what I'm afraid of is now we're starting to see customers, you know, how quickly we forget things, right? Mm -hmm. But we're starting to see, okay, so lead times are back down to a few weeks on closures. So, well, we, you know, we don't need to order because, you know, so how do we how do we get in front of that again? Because when all the, if they're going to try to blow all this work done in five years, we're going to be right back to where we started, are we not? I put it on my phone, and I did this quite some time ago. And the catchphrase that's on that phone is that if you're not in the queue, it's on you. So that's, again, messaging that we have to get that information out to people to plan ahead, get ready. It's coming, right? Yeah. We know it's coming, but that's the inevitable. That's when people say, ah, no, nah, we're all right. And I, I issued a, a comment this way. And I said, you know, I said, I went to an event and um, there was a lot of people at this event and there was one coffee shop, okay? And the coffee shop opened at 6.30 in the morning. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to go sit by the fire at 5.30 and wait for the coffee shop to open. So I'd be the first in line to get the coffee sure. and, and a donut or whatever. Yeah. And as 6.30 rolled around, I was involved going through my computer and answering emails and doing this. Ah, it, it'll wait for a minute. Next thing you know, there's 10 people in line. And I thought, I'll just wait for a little bit more and the line will die down and then I can get back in front, right? So five people come in, five people go out and 15 more people lined up. I see where this is going. You see where that's going? <laughs> if I would have just paid attention and did what I thought I should do is get in line at 630 right when the doors open, I would have been done. Exactly. You and that's what? one thing. I that... never got coffee that day. Well, I would have had a headache by noon. I did. <laughs> My fault. But that's one thing that, that PLP did a good job of, you know, on the last go around was, uh, you know, not forcing customers to take large orders, but get them in the queue. And get that's where queue. that came from. Get them in the queue set some target dates so we can work with the factory and get, uh, you know, keep production rolling and, and get your spot in line or yeah. you're going to not have coffee. Yeah. Well, we had some customers in their infinite wisdom with the panic buying, they figured a way around the system, right? So they're going to order the same type of product from three different manufacturers and three different distributors. Yes. We've so seen all that. of a sudden there's a great big bunch of orders out there, each of them worth $12 million. Yep. That company only wanted one order for $12 million. First one to deliver. So everybody else that invested all the money in raw materials and staging product and getting it ready, they got told, never mind. And then what's that do to your 
It to really messes everything yeah. up at the factory. It messes everything up for ordering inventory and raw materials. They didn't care. No, no. It's, right? It's and what do you them. do? Do you yeah. sit there and penalize them for fear that you'll never work with them again? It's a double-edged sword. It is a very, very difficult double-edged sword. Really quick, let me tell you a little bit about CBM. We're a manufacturer's rep firm right here in the Midwest. Uh, what that means is we are a contracted sales organization that works for multiple different manufacturers. Uh, so we can be a resource for you on many different facets. Uh, we were established in 1960 and now are an ESOP company. So we are employee owned. And what that means is we have a different mindset here Uh the tagline around the office is act like an owner. Uh, so our employees, uh, they think differently, think as owners, and we operate that way. And we are inspired by that leadership. Uh, if we can be a resource for you, uh, please reach out to us at cbmrep.com. But you talked about a little bit too of the $35 million that you guys have invested. Mm -hmm. um, and through the time, through the COVID period and through all these long lead times, we actually, PLP had record output. Yep. Actually grew and put more product out than ever before. Year during over that year time. over year. We so never stopped. Is it going to be as bad the next time, really, since, since you've put all that money into production? Or are we in a better spot now because- Let me because put it to that. you this way. The catalyst prior to COVID was Ardoff. Sure. And it was valued at about $9 billion. Does that yeah, answer slightly, your question? Slightly less. Bead yeah. is yeah. $42.5 billion. Yeah. Less than 20% tax, which is $8.5 billion off of that. Yeah. My point being is that this industry has never seen an influx of government money to this extent for a very, very long time. So it's up, up to us to figure out how to do it right. It's up to us to make sure that we're having conversations with our buyers, with our end users, with our engineering groups. We've got to continue to have those, those conversations. Some of them are not pleasant conversations, but you know me well enough in the industry. <laughs> you can have those conversations. Is that a lot of people don't mind hearing it from me because they know they're going to get the absolute truth, yeah. even if it's a truth they don't want to hear. Well, that's why you're respected in this industry. Well, I appreciate that. I don't think many people know who I am, but um, for those three that do, yeah, that's why it's you know when one hand you count on. Yeah, you with me? I'm with you. Okay, good. The numbers are hard. I know. Um, you you mentioned the NTIA. Um, they so let me make sure I understand it correctly. They are the the group that is you know giving the information to the president, they're strictly behind the policy. Correct. Correct. Have you worked directly with them or is it your organizations, the SETE and those yeah, organizations so, that work? How does that whole system so work? So the how PCCA do we for one is a, is a very active organization that works uh, with lobbyists and we're in on the Capitol Hill once a quarter, at least we try to go to visit our congressmen and our senators um, but the problem with it is, is now it's the NTIA, which they've never really been part, uh, at least openly, uh, as part of the decision makers and the policy drafters. So now it's a matter of, of getting back in front of them directly. So we're trying to do it on both fronts, uh, both directly with the NTIA as well as through the other organizations that we're a part of. Okay. 
Yeah, you know, for me, uh, the art off, the bead, all these different programs, you know, it's hard to separate them all. Um, and I think one of the one of the struggles just as a sales guy has been, how do we get in front of these projects and help these folks uh, instead of, you know, when when the newspaper comes out and it's all been released, you know, these projects are designed and they're ready to build. So that's the hardest part of what we do is to understand how far ahead we have to think. The sales cycle. Everybody thinks you go out and you sell it, you're done, goodbye. Not the case. We have to develop these relationships from the ground floor. We have to take a chance and get out in front of certain things. And you know what? You're going to miss some. And you're also going to hit some that you didn't think you were going to get. But don't undersell and I don't mean that from a sales perspective. I mean the importance of, don't underestimate the importance of relationships within an industry. Because typically what happens if you've got certain amount of subject matter experts, right, SMEs that are in the industries, those people are called upon by all the newcomers. Yeah. How do I do this? How do I do that? You've built that with this company X and you've built it with company G. All these different formats that you've gone through, they will for lack of a better term, poach their knowledge, the subject matter experts in the industry's knowledge to help them get established and build something. Who do you think they're going to call on when it comes down to who do I call on to get the information I still need for vaults, for interduct, for splice closures? Yeah, you're going to call the experts. For hardware, right? They're going to call the experts that they knew. Guess who that is? That's us. That's us. Yeah. So don't ever undersell a relationship. I know people would rather text or email rather than call or rather than sit next to someone. But to me, sales sales is a different game, you know, today than it was. Not saying it's different, but one thing hasn't changed. People still want respect and love. Yep. And we all provide it a different way, right? So it's incumbent upon us to continue to demonstrate the importance of the relationship. Amen. I, I agree totally. Um, so we've talked about a lot of things that are, you know, new in the industry, a lot of things, how much things have changed over the last so many years. What is one thing that you think is still the same and will maybe remain to be the same? Nothing. Nothing the same. I don't think anything is the same. Anything that is the same, like I said earlier, will wither on the vine and die or become totally irrelevant. If you're not willing to make a move, if you're not willing to understand that things have changed and you need to adjust your approach, you need to adjust your style, you need to adjust uh, your thought process, you will become irrelevant. I think I agree. I think I agree. I thought a lot about it and I really tried to find something there, but I think you're right. I, I can remember a conversation I had with uh, with a contractor. We were talking about fiber blowing, jetting fiber. Yeah. Oh, I can, you know, we've done it this way 20 years. And, you know, we can, we can pull that in just as fast as you can. Tim, you're a fisherman. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yep. What can you tell me about any body of water? Uh, well, it depends if I've been there or not. It will change. It will change. Yeah. Even what God's I can tell you, I can will what, change. What I can tell you about fishing is I make the same mistake and I'll fish history. You know, this is where they were. This is what I've done before and not be open. That's my point. Yep. 
That's my point. Things change. You need to adapt. You need to be able to look at life from a different perspective. Even if it's not yours, call on someone else that's on the front line that you can depend on, that you know that they're seeing it differently than you saw it when you were there. Because when you were there, dude, I was using lead cables and lead sleeves yep. originally, yep. right? And so, I didn't have to mess with copper. I was doing all fiber. Right. So I went through that whole thing. I changed my whole perspective and my whole approach twice, you know, once with my first 10 years in the industry. And then ever since, I've probably reinvented myself a number of times at PLP. <laughs> I wish they'd release some of those old videos. Oh, no, no. <laughs> They're forbidden. They're forbidden. And things have changed. We're not allowed to show those yeah, videos yeah, anymore. <laughs> that's probably true. HR is now a thing, so we have to... Well, that's why they hired PLP, hired a corporate attorney was for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's been beneficial for PLP overall. So yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that was good. Is there anything else you want to touch on? I know we had a list of things to get through. and I think we got through an awful lot of stuff. Um, I, 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 I guess the one thing that I look at is, is how do we maintain and continue a relationship that we've had for 60 years? And you're going to be around for a while. I've got some time left. You know, yes. Marla, Marla doesn't have much tread on the tires. Um, <laughs> I'm about done, yeah. right? So I'm rounding third, heading for home. About time for uh, pasture. Yeah. Well, the only good thing is I tripped over third base, so I'm just going to take a seat for a while before I make my way home. Um, <laughs> but look, I just want to make sure that we have that same passion, uh, generationally speaking. Yeah. So we have to train the people that are, are next. Yep to understand the importance and the value of a relationship and how close a relationship it should be between a manufacturer's representative and a manufacturer, right? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think, you know, the first thing, communication, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, having hard discussions, obviously. Uh, everybody put their big boy pants on and, and have those conversations. And that's how, you, that's how you grow and that's how you move forward, so. Yeah, and I, it's gotta go both ways. I yep. mean, there's times that we get the call that says we think you've done something uh, incorrectly or whatever. Um, and that's one of the things that I really respect about PLP is we are always open enough to look internally and say, you know what? I did make a mistake here. Yeah. Um, I've never I've never seen PLP do the opposite. They've always done the right thing and they've always uh, taken care of the customer, number one. And that's, you know, that's our motto here at CBM, you know. Take care of the customer, please the manufacturers. If we do that, we'll be successful. Awesome. Well, Dan, thank you again for joining us. I know you've got a busy schedule and you came in just for this, and we certainly appreciate it. So. It was absolutely my pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Yep. Wow, that was great. Uh, once again, I always appreciate talking to Dan. He's so passionate about what he does. Uh, he's a leader and a mentor in the market, and we certainly appreciate him. Uh, once again, if you have questions about PLP, it's plp.com, uh, or you can reach out to us here at CBM. It's cbmrep.com. Uh, we'd love to be a resource for you and your company. Uh, thank you again for joining us on Power the Network, and we'll see you on the next one.